everybody! Don't you miss me? Of course you did. It's me, Matt. Welcome back to Are Your Parents Proud of You? Season question mark? I have no idea where uh, we're at right now. It has been a long time since any new episodes were released. Super, super sorry about that. Life got in the way, work got in the way, but now we're back. Now we're back. I don't know how many episodes are going to be released. Could be just this, could be a bunch. Could be four, could be six. I have no idea. Uh, for right now, we're just going to take it one episode at a time. And what a great way to start because we have a nationally recognized, award-winning director, producer, actor, and educator, current artistic director of Chicago's Porchlight Music Theater, and director of their production, Anything Goes, Michael Weber. Michael and I met over Zoom, and without further ado, here is that conversation. Hi, Michael. How are you? I'm very good, Matt. How are you? Good. Thanks so much for doing this. Uh, so, I just first of all, congratulations on the show. I saw it last weekend. Enjoyed it very much. First time seeing anything of this musical. So, I, it's nice to go in blind and come out very surprised and enjoy it. Sure. Uh, I'm curious, just from an artistic standpoint, because I don't get to talk to many artistic directors very mm -hmm. often. And, but I'm always curious when they decide, decide what show they want to choose for their mm -hmm. season. And, you know, you've been doing this for a long time. So mm -hmm. for you, what, how do you choose a season? And like for specifically like this show, what made you want to do this one? Sure. This well, I think that the, the thing about this show is that um, there was, there was a couple of factors uh, a, a, about the actual show itself. Number one, that there was an anniversary year, that this is a piece that has been in the music theater canon for 90 years, uh, there is not a lot of shows from the 1930s in terms of a music, uh, American music theater that are still dumb. They do Oklahoma, you know, they do Carousel, a lot of the Rogers and Hammerstein, but, but there's very few sh shows from the 30s that still have legs. And it happened to be a 90th anniversary uh, in doing some research. Then I realized also it was the 60th anniversary of Cole Porter's passing. And with actually with the the passing of Stephen Sondheim, I I and going in and reading a lot about Sondheim, his thoughts and and opinions on the work of Cole Porter really got me thinking that in many ways Cole Porter was sort of the Sondheim before Sondheim when it came to lyric dexterity, when it came to his personal life story and what he was bringing to the work in how he specifically was talking to a very um, unique audience in a way that I'm talking to a broad audience, but I'm also talking to a very specific group of people who, if they are listening to what I'm saying, I'm seeing you in the audience in the 30s and 40s. And his work had really not been that represented recently a lot in Chicago. He, like Irving Berlin, ha has a very wide um, resume of Broadway musicals. And like Irving Berlin, there's only like two shows that anybody really ever does on the regular. And that's Anything Goes and Kiss Me Kate in the case of Cole Porter. And um, I was looking also for a show that had a lot of joy in it. I think that right now, uh, people are looking to go to the theater and laugh and 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 have songs that that brighten them up and make them feel good but are also 
um, people functioning in in 2024 that they they want to be able to see things that um, are communicating something to them. And one of the things, you know, funnily, funny enough, that came up during rehearsal, having recently done cabaret, and I was saying to the cast, you know, cabaret takes place in like 1929-30. This takes place in 1933-34. It's sort of like, meanwhile, on the other side of the planet, Weimar Germany is completely falling. But here in America, you know, we're in the middle of the Great Depression. And this is what we're writing is this kind of, you know, keep them laughing, keep them distracted, you know, make fun of the bankers, make fun of the movie people, make fun of the celebrity culture that's developing. So it has a lot to say. Uh, it says a lot of the same things that the musical Chicago is talking about, but it's saying it in a way that goes down with a little bit more sugar than a little bit more vinegar. And, uh, but you, you get what he was after and what these writers were after. They were writing this show at a very dark time. They wanted to take some swipes at the authority figures, uh, but they also wanted to have fun. And I think that the show kind of reminds you that it's just fun and it's good. And as soon as these songs starts, you go... Oh my God, that song is from this show. And that song is from this show. And that song is from this show. You know, it's an amazing songbook. And somebody came up to me in the lobby the other day and it said, you know, is there any other show you can think of that has hit after hit after hit? And I'm like, there's only really two that I can think of. And it might be South Pacific and Annie Get Your Gun that have just every single song is a hit parade hit. Right. With very few exceptions. Um, and this is one of those shows that you walk in humming the score. And, you know, if we've done our job, you walk out humming the score, too. You might love, I, during the research about Torchlight and re recently, it feels like you do the big one main show. But that's an event. And just mm -hmm. in how it's marketed. Like looking at Cabaret and this, like this is an event rather than just you're every day, it's a Sunday mm -hmm. matinee, I'm gonna go get brunch and go to the show. No, this is the event you want to see. Mm -hmm. When you plan a season, mm -hmm. this do you plan this as like a headliner? This is what's gonna help us, not even help us, but like make more people who maybe not have seen one of our sure. shows or maybe musical come in more or yeah. come experience for, for the first time? Yeah, I hear you. I would say that the last few years, particularly with COVID, have been very irregular in terms of looking at what we're doing currently and measuring that against perhaps what the mission or the what you expect at Porchlight. We're we're all still in a period of readjusting yeah. um, to what we can do, what we can afford to do, what we think audiences want to see, what we would like to do. Um, you certainly, and I and I don't think that this is any different in any theater company from Steppenwolf to the Goodman to the court, that you you are looking for what you would call your tentpole productions, which are those shows that people are just inherently going to want to see. And then if you have a strong mission statement, which we do, which is a little bit different than perhaps some of the suburban music theaters that are more commercially oriented and looking to please as many people as they can all the time because it's wildly expensive. Oh, and they've got 900 to nearly 2,000 seats to fill. Um, we 
are also very interested in musicals that are more complex, that are more thought-provoking, more incendiary to some degree even. Um, a lot of what put Porchlight on the map in its early days was that it was a storefront company, the only storefront company, number one, specializing in musicals, but number two, the musicals that they were doing was a lot of Stephen Sondheim, a lot of William Finn, Maury Yeston, thing, you know, folks who were not, decidedly mainstream and even with Sondheim he can be mainstream but they were doing things like Pacific Overtures and uh Candide which he contributed to and and you know not just your normal fare um so that remains very much a part of what we are interested in I feel that you know we claim to be the the center for music theater in Chicago because there's a difference of that. We are in Chicago. Um, we consider certainly our, our friends in the suburbs members of Chicago land, but you're not. Our neighbors are the Goodman, Looking Glass, when they hopefully come back, uh, Broadway in Chicago, Steppenwolf. Um, it's a long history of people, uh, audience members and theater makers who are quite sophisticated and um, um looking to be challenged they're not just looking for a diversion and they frequently go to theater not just that they go only once a year on the holidays or when it's grandma's birthday and we go have brunch and see a matinee so i'm usually looking when i'm building a season of trying to find that balance of known titles that we can do something with, not just do a replication in a smaller fashion of what you've seen at Broadway in Chicago or on Broadway, um, that we're really building it with a new vision because the entire experience is by definition going to be uniquely different at Porchlight because we choose to function in a 218 seat house as opposed to a 2000 seat house at the Nederlander or the palace downtown. So the experience is going to just hearken up a different visceral response from the audience. And so you want to take it further to really customize that show, whether it's cabaret or, or anything goes, which people might have a certain kind of familiarity with, but an understanding of going, because you're going to be so close to those actors, it's just going to, you're going to hear things you didn't hear. You're going to be able to really concentrate on their feet as they're tapping in front of you and things like that. Um, so in terms of building the season, it is trying to find a combination of things that are also Chicago premieres or new work. I don't want Porchlight to be a company that just simply does revivals. Um, that is not part of the goal. We're, you know, we we like to at least do Chicago premieres, if not, you know, be moving more towards building our own work. Um, but musicals, as you know, are incredibly expensive to to build and risky, you know. Right. And for, for the most part, sometimes they pay off, and that's what the audiences want to see. Sadly, I went, I went to Drury Lane last summer and saw a production mm -hmm. of just the 39 steps and was talking to patrons, trying to get some ideas of it and the general consensus was you know love the show had a good time more of a musical person anyway i'm here right from, which is where i'm coming from well, i'm total opposite which i studied plays in college uh -huh. school not much the musical so i'm coming in 
Me too. My my background is was was more. I really thought. I mean, you know, I got my start in Chicago working at, at Shakespeare Repertory, literally when it was at the Ruth Page Center, and and uh, Body Politic, Victory Gardens. You know, those those off loop theater companies. I, I imagined that my career would be more me doing Arthur Miller and William Inge and Tennessee Williams, and as a result, I. But you know, through some twist, I ended up gravitating a little bit more towards music theater and have built most of my career uh, in that genre, um, even though really my background is is what you would call straight theater, you know? Right. Yeah. And speaking of that, speaking of that, what were you like as a child? You know, you said you grew up in Chicago, you were a Chicago yeah. native. Uh, were you immediately drawn into the arts or did it take a while for you to get in uh, any sort of interest? I well, I was I was born and raised in Chicago. I tried to I have tried over the course of my career to leave a few times to 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 go to New York or LA and and you know and it's like the Al Pacino line just you know, when you get out they pull you back in you know, um, and I I've, I've ended up being the artistic director of three different theater companies in Chicago as well as doing some commercial producing which I is very unusual that that anybody would be an artistic director at three different companies within this particular community. Usually people will go off to another, you know, to Kansas city or some other, you know, uh, place. Uh, there's very few of us who have kind of jumped around. And as, as a result, ended up staying here. Um, I grew up on the Northwest side of Chicago uh, around uh, like diversity in Austin, what they call the brickyard area. So very blue collar, very, um, you know, just, Ch diehard Chicago. And um, I, I, I think the phenomenon that I had, I think was, I, I kind of was like a Mickey Rooney kid. Like, hey, let's put on a show. I was always the kid in the neighborhood who was getting all the kids together to do a show in my garage or in a backyard or making movies with an eight millimeter, you know, movie camera and stuff like that. I don't entirely know where it came from. I, I don't really have anybody else in my family who was in uh, show business. I think some generations back, I've got some German family who were in the circuses, from what I understand, in Germany. But it's not like my mom, my dad, my my sisters or anybody like that. I don't entirely know where it came from. Um, but early on, I developed a real affinity for film, for older movies, as well as radio. As well as as like classic radio, old the golden age of radio, which is draws so much on your imagination. Um, and I, I don't know where that came from, but I just had this inclination towards it. And uh and did shows at the at the Chicago Park District, um, which back then which unlike it is now, I mean, it really gave me my first introduction. Uh, Dave Condon, who still works at at here in Chicago within the Chicago Park District, was somebody who was instrumental in introducing me to the great comedies of the golden age. You can't take it with you, arsenic and old lace, those types of things that you do at the Park District and community theater and and learning 
how to do it all, costumes, props, lights, and you're welcome to participate in that way. And I think it's a real loss in many ways that these institutions that people used to have access through through park districts is just not really a thing anymore. I think a lot of people found their way uh, with some of the things that were afforded to them, either through sports or hobbies and crafts, woodworking, electrical work, you know, all of the things that park districts used to offer that they really can't afford to do anymore. But that's how I got introduced to it. And um, somehow it just kind of stuck and always was there. Yeah. What did your parents do? Were they ever involved in the arts at all? Uh, they were really not. My mother died when I was very young and my father remarried. Um, and I think that that, that my stepmother is where I really kind of got the inclination of introduction to older movies. She was a, a very much a, I wouldn't say a cinephile. She just liked old movies and, and, and loved Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers and, and Sherlock Holmes movies and Charlie Chan. And, you know, I mean, all these old things that you used to see again, back in the day in Chicago on Channel 9 or Channel 32, when local TV was a major thing. Right. And early on, she put me on television here in uh, at Channel 9. I was on Romper Room as a child. And you used to have to go to WGN every morning because it was live television. And you would be on Romper Room and on Bozo Circus and things like that. And... Um, I got exposed at a very young age to like local television production, which was eye-opening to me. Again, something we just don't have that much more of. Um, my dad was a uh, was a bricklayer and and was a, was a, an architect of a kind, and he eventually ended up working for the Chicago Public School Systems as an engineer. He was not at all a showbiz person. He knew cars, he knew engines, he knew how to build a house, he could build anything. Um, and we had this sort of an interesting mutual respect for each other because I knew how brilliant he was at what he did. And I think he kind of understood what I was passionate about and that I was committed to it, even though I think he might've been much more, you know, happy had I become a pilot or something that he was interested in. Right. The alternate route. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, how familiar are you with the Chicago Broadcasting Museum and how much does it mean to you? Oh, very much so. I was there when it opened. Uh, oh. And I remember seeing it when it was uh, in my neighborhood here in the South Loop. It used to be at River City uh, when it first opened, uh, which is still here. And then it moved. I in in my in when I was young, I became I was introduced to and became very well connected with Chuck Shaden, mm -hmm. who uh for many years ran a radio show called those were the days right. and the, the radio show continues uh chuck is now retired but he was incredibly influential to me in terms of not only introducing me to old radio and classic television but also uh work at the what he was doing at the museum and what they were looking with bruce dumont to preserve uh at the museum. And I have gone there looking for those episodes of Romper Room from 1973, but they do not, WGN did not keep a lot of the videotapes, you know, we, they, they they dumped a lot of that stuff. So no, but we I play, love the museum. We play uh, Bozo Gar and Ray every year 
in my opinion. I know, I know. And, and I keep finding new ones, which I think are amazing. Right? Sir, that three bear sketch gets me every year. It's made for kids, but nope, Absolutely. I'm in my place. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, tell me about Candlelight, because you were a busboy there. Was that your first yeah. theater job, like theater job, like working in more of a professional theater scene? Uh, yes, I would say that 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 was very instrumental to me. And I had seen a couple of shows there. Interestingly enough, one of them was well, the first show I saw there was a production of Guys and Dolls with Ray Rayner. Hey, how about that? And, and Ray used to he did forum funny thing happened on the way to the forum and, and the odd couple and a few other things. And what he would do is bring a production number over to the bozo show and they would you know do a comedy tonight or something like that and and so there was a connection there um but i just was amazed by the work that i saw on that stage truly there's nothing like it that has ever replaced it in terms of the physical theater the genius of what tony D'Angelo came up with and Bill Polinzi in terms of this the hydraulic stage that went down to the basement. And I, I was always amazed to go back and look at old newspaper articles that would say, you know, dinner, dancing, and a and a big play. And it, because they started doing plays before they did musicals. And it was like Tea House of the August Moon or the Odd Couple or Plaza Suite, things like this, for $3.95, all inclusive. I'm like, how? How could you do a play and get dinner and have dancing after the play for $3.95? But at some point I went over, I was a teenager. I was probably 17 or whenever you were able to work. And I, I got a job as a bus boy. And, you know, usually what would happen is you would do the dinner before the show. And then the wait staff would go upstairs and play cards while act one happened. And I would be there always looking through the curtain, watching every performance and getting hello, you know, to the, to the actors and, and, and watching as much as I could. And eventually then that translated into, Hey, they needed somebody on the stage crew. So I volunteered and moved into that and then moved up to being, um, an understudy. And I uh, understudied actors like Dale Benson, the great, the great Dale Benson. Um, and I was, you know, 25 years old and he was 60 years old and it was ridiculous. But I, I would just sit there and learn and watch and watch, you know, how does he get that laugh on that joke? And the amazing people that were there who were, you know, young Hollis Resnick, young Paula Scrifano and John Rieger and Lee Pelty and all of these amazing actors who were working there. And so I literally worked my way up from being a busboy to being on the stage crew, to being an understudy, to being an actor on the stage uh, at both the Candlelight and the Forum, which was the, the the proscenium theater that was next door that they did musicals and predominantly plays at uh, towards the end of the, the tenure. That loss of that theater was a great, great loss to Chicago theater. It was just an amazing place. Um, but it was definitely of an era when dinner theater was something that you were proud to say on Monday morning that you took your partner to go see. What'd you do this weekend? We went to the dinner theater and saw, you know, Sweet Charity. And oh my God, the scrod was delicious. <laughs> you know, and I don't know what happened to dinner theater, you know, but it was 
it was fantastic in its way. It was really, it was great. It was a, it was a thing of its time. Right. Did your dad and stepmom approve, not even approve, but uh, push for you to keep continuing in the arts and fully support you when you told them like, this is something I want to do with my life? They, they absolutely supported me. They, they did not necessarily push me because they didn't know where to push me, but somewhere along the line, I, uh, and again, because I was on the Northwest side of Chicago, I went to Steinmetz high school and somewhere along the line, I had learned about this place called the Chicago Academy for the arts, mm -hmm. which was then in its fourth year of existence and working out of uh, St. Pat's High School, which is on Adams right there on the expressway. The church is still there. The school is now gone. And I don't know what compelled me, but I left Steinmetz in my senior year and transferred to the Chicago Academy for the Arts, which at that time was not ashamed to kind of say it was Chicago's fame school. Because the television show Fame was still on and was a very big deal. And they were very much hearkening to going, what that is, we're going to be Chicago's version of that. We didn't dance on top of taxi cabs and like they had on the show. But um, there were amazing people that were there uh, around that time. John Cusack and and um, uh, Lara Flynn Boyle and uh, a number of uh, people who went on to... Uh, the Pivens were there, Jeremy Piven, you know, they all were there and um, it was all new. And it was by today's standards, you're, you're, you just took a bunch of like crazy high school artistic unbalanced kids and shoved them into 125 of them into a school and let them run rampant. And uh, it, it was life changing. Uh, it was, I, I met people and I met people who were living lifestyles that I had never been exposed to. I had met a lot of these kids were from all over the country and their parents would just like send them to Chicago and put them on a bus. And I mean, it was, it was a little wild, wild west, right. but it was truly life-changing. And, um, and of course the Academy still continues uh, to thrive, you know, in its new, in its, you know, newer digs that they're on Chicago Avenue, but those oh. were wild days. Yeah. How often did you try to, you know, you mentioned you, you were at times trying to go to New York or LA, but how often did you come very close to trying to go? You know, we're, as someone who fitted, who was in college for a couple years ago, it was always the mindset, I'm going to do these four years in Chicago and then I'm going to leave immediately. Was right. that kind of like what you were thinking as well? I, I, it wasn't immediately after college because I was having too good a time being introduced to what was going on in Chicago. And around that time, I was working a lot at, Ch at Chicago Shakes. I was working at Marriott and, and Candlelight and then going back and doing things at the body politics. So my interest was very eclectic and doing storefront theater again with people like young Tracy Letts and young Anna Shapiro and young Jeff Still we were all creating you know those storefront things too all at the beginnings of our career there was so much going on here there wasn't really an interest in for me at that time to necessarily go and do Broadway but it was still at a time when there was a the the idea of you've got to get your equity card and and eventually go to Broadway and only then you know will you be 
really like in, in the game. But I don't know. I saw so much happening here and so much potential and so much satisfaction because I was interested in 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 the diversity of musicals and Shakespeare and storefront and straight theater at places like the court or or you know uh the wisdom bridge um so i was very satisfied the times that i was looking perhaps eventually to kind of go to new york were really after i was leaving these artistic directorships so eventually i ended up in an artistic directorship at at uh, a company named called theater at the center which is um they're closed now yeah. Northwest Indiana. And again, they're about the same distance as going to writers. You know, they just happen to be right over the state line. Uh, so technically it's Indiana, but it's like, it's just South suburbs, you know, the reverse of it's closer than Marriott Lincolnshire, I think. And um, I ended up becoming the artistic director there and stayed there for six years. And after I left there, I thought, okay, now's the time to go try New York or LA. And I had gotten a call from um, Chichi DeSantis, who was the daughter of Tony DeSantis, who ran Drury Lane Oakbrook. Yeah. And they, she had said, look, I, I understand your situation at theater at the center is closing. Would you be interested to talk about a project? And I, I, at that time assumed it was directing a play for them or something like that. And what it was, was that they wanted to rebuild a new, the Drury Lane Water Tower Place Theater. They had opened it in the eighties as an in the round 1200 seats uh theater but they were just a little ahead of their time right. um michigan avenue was not ready really for a theater down there they just you know the 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 broadway in chicago it was was not even any glean in anyone's eye and downtown was a little sketchy and it didn't work the first time and tony was very very interested to try it again and um they hired uh, me to be the artistic director with uh, a wonderful producer in town, Jim Jensen, who used to run the Royal George Theater. Yeah. And we built that place from the ground up. And uh, it only they only stayed with it for a very sh for like two years. And then they ended up selling the property to Broadway in Chicago. And now it's the Broadway Playhouse. Right. Um, and at that time, again, I thought, you know, okay, now's the time to go to New York. Now's the time to go to LA. And then I got a call from Porchlight, yeah. which was, a again, a very different situation because theater at the center was sort of a suburban music theater house for the most part. Drury Lane on Michigan Avenue was a commercial, big, you know, sort of endeavor doing commercial hits and then Porchlight, which was de the definition at that time of sort of a, a storefront theater company in Chicago. So it was, uh, it's been three very different experiences. Right. And Porchlight, what, this was like early 2010 mm -hmm. uh, when you got the job. Was it, uh, I forgot, was it L. Walter Stearns who was running mm -hmm. at the time and he called you about it? No, Walter, uh, Walter was running the theater and he was there, I think, for about 13 years. There were other artistic directors before Walter for brief periods of time. And he was running when, they, when you, when you, before you took over. Right. Okay. Uh, but Walter uh, had been the artistic director for about 13 years. Okay. And um, 
my understanding was that the board had just decided that they were looking to make a change. They wanted a new, they wanted some new vision and they parted ways with Walter. And at that time, then Walter uh, decided to change his focuses to building the Mercury Theater, which he runs very successfully now. Um, in the interim, then, they had heard that I had left Water Tower Place, Drury Lane, and they reached out to me and had said, you know, would you be interested to consider this and uh, consider interviewing? And I, along with other people, you know, interviewed for the job. And um, I didn't know what to expect because I, I I knew the company because I had direct, Walter had hired me to direct a production of Assassins. Mm-hmm. And that was my exposure to what the company was about. And it was definitely a storefront theater working out of, then it was still, I believe, called the Theater Building, uh, which then eventually became Stage 773. But it was very, you know, a st- of the storefront um, tradition. And... Uh, but I went and sat down with the board and other constituencies that they had who were interviewing me. And as I got to know them, I was like, oh, okay, you, this, this group of people really have larger ambitions than they are currently doing. And this could be interesting. If they, if they are true in terms of what their ambitions are, I couldn't see maybe what I can bring from my experience at Drury Lane to an endeavor like this and see how far we can grow this and push this. Um, You know, it it, it took a little while. It has taken a while to acclimate uh, and and push it. And mainly because musicals are incredibly expensive to do. I mean, it's, uh, it's so much every, it's so much more everything than, just doing a three-person, one-set play, you know, at a company. So, um, you know, it it can be traumatic. It it, it just, when you're working and you don't have the support system that you do at some of the larger houses or certainly in a commercial production. But, um, you know, I think after these many years, you know, we've been able to to do that, to push things and, and, and be able to deliver something like, anything goes. And it's funny because one of the people was in that interview and I, you know, I've been here now, I believe 12 years at, at, at Porchlight. Um, somebody who was in that interview said to me on opening night, he said, you know, this is me. He goes, I remember your interview and you saying you want to do big old fashioned dance musicals at Porchlight. And he goes, I'm, it literally is happening. It has come true. What we set out to do those many years ago, and with a star like Megan Murphy, you know, on top of it, and and gratefully the positive response that we've received, he's like, you know, it happened. It actually happened. There it is. So, yeah. And here you go. To sort of wrap it up, I, I I love one of the things I still love to watch on your the Portslake YouTube channel is the uh, the meet and greets mm. of the first day of rehearsal. Yeah. And just seeing the emotion and the energy in your voice when you're talking about these shows. That even after all this time, the 12 years, mm-hmm. the highs and lows, a pandemic, mm-hmm. uh, conversations in the community about what stories can we tell and how can we tell these right stories, the stories mm-hmm. right, I should say, um, that there's still a, the energy and you're still driven to do yeah. really good work. 
yeah, I, 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 it still gets me, you know, it's still the Mickey Rooney kid. I think it's still somewhere there that it's about, Hey, let's put on a show. Let's take what we've got to work with and see how far we can push it, how far we can stretch this dollar to make this work, how, how much we can refine this moment to have it be as, as possibly good as it can be. So that when people are coming, they're not going, oh, well, this is on a budget or, oh, this is, you know, smaller than what I've seen at other places. It just is what it is. Um, and, I, you know, I, I look at I look at the work we do at Porchlight and I think about it like, you know, if you go to London, you know, I'm interested in what's going on at Don Mar Warehouse or what's going on at the Minor Chocolate Factory, places like, you know, those those not the West End, you know, and what are they doing in terms of like taking this work and going, okay, the King and I, page one, act one, scene one, a boat arrives in Siam. Okay, what's that going to be? You know, not sitting there going, well, is he going to be bald or isn't he going to be bald? You know, it's, 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 it's taking that Chicago theater approach that is sexy and violent and and to the point and accessible and making you bust open your your expectations and going you know here's a whole new way to approach this piece and yet you're still seeing the piece you're not going well it just feels like an it's an experiment that you would do in a college classroom or something but going no this is a a different kind of vision because not only of the people involved, but because of this, the the proportion that you're doing it in. Um, and a show like a 90-year-old Cole Porter musical can still deliver, you know? Fantastic. Uh, my last question to you is, uh, are your parents proud of you? <laughs> I, uh, well, they're both gone now, but I do know, you know, they came, they would come to see the work. And I think that their feeling was, we don't know how you do this. We don't even know where to begin to understand how this happened, but we can tell it brings you joy and we enjoyed it and not just because you had a hand in it. So I think that they were certainly proud, but I think they were also confused. <laughs> <laughs> but they're happy and you're happy they're happy <laughs> that's awesome michael i can't thank you enough for spending some time chatting with me congratulations go and uh thank you again thanks matt have a good day porch lights production of anything goes has been extended due to popular demand and it must close march 10th for tickets and more information go to porchlightmusictheater.org slash anything goes and that is it for today's episode, folks. Thank you so much for listening. You know the drill. I know it's been a while, but shake that rust off. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. Email us, parentsproudpodcast at gmail.com. I am Matthew Schufreiter, and I'll see you next time. We don't know who the guest will be, but it's going to be a great episode of Are Your Parents Proud of You? Take care, everyone. Bye.